Okay, with that, we're going to continue through our, we've interrupted the Gospel of Mark, and we're, we're now sort of just breaking for a couple weeks to look at the Christmas story. And so we find ourselves um, here in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 39. So let's pray, and then we will begin. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this season that we uh, pause, Lord, this whole idea of Advent is that we slow down as we wait upon the Lord. Uh, his first Advent, his coming as uh, this humble servant, uh, as, as a sacrifice for us. Uh, Lord, we reflect on what he did already. And Lord, we eagerly await his return. We look forward to our Lord's return. Uh, Lord, as you promised his first coming, uh, we rest in the truth that he will return again. And so, Lord, we pray uh, that during this Christmas season that you would help us uh, to, uh, to to realign our hearts, Lord, to, to refocus on you as the year comes to a close and we start a, a new year. Uh, it's, it's always the time of sort of uh, evaluation of how we did last year and what we'd like to do this year. And so, Father, I pray that as we head into 2020, uh, that you would help our hearts uh, to, to truly be aligned and focused upon you, uh, that we would grow deeper in our relationship with you through the studying of the word, through prayer, through fellowship with one another, through service. Uh, Lord, ultimately, that we would uh, go deeper in our walk with you. We do love you, Lord, and we ask that as we look at the story of uh, Elizabeth and Mary and Lord, there's a depth and a sweetness to the fellowship that we see today. We pray that you would encourage us through their life example, that you would challenge us through them, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Monday, I lost my voice, and I, <clears throat> it's coming back. And whenever I lose my voice, I only think of Rick. The first time I met Rick and I lost my voice, he said, you know what they say about a pastor with no voice, right? I'm like, uh-uh. I'm new to this pastor thing. He says, you're worthless. And it's like, oh. <clears throat> so I spent all week uh, praying that my worth would come back. And so if, you know, I'm, I'm, if I cough, you know, please excuse me. All right. So Luke chapter 1, uh, verse 39, and we'll read down to verse 56. Now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, and how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what, it ha what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, 
and holy is his name. And his mercy, his mercy is upon every generation after generation towards those who feared him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in thought, in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. Lord, we ask that you would guide us now as we work through this passage. May you be honored and glorified in all that we do here now. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, so we jump right into the story. In verse 39, we read, Now this time Mary arose and went in a hurry to the, in a hurry to the hill country to a city of Judah. And so just kind of behind me, we have the, the, the map. Um, <clears throat> as we sort of ping pong through the, the narrative of, of the, um, the announcement of Christ's birth, the story started in Jerusalem right here uh, with Zacharias um, in, in the temple making the offering uh, or the, the, the offering incense. And then as the angel Gabriel appeared to him to tell him about John the Baptist and his coming, um, we know that encounter. Basically, we leave that story. Six months later, they, uh, the story shifts up to Nazareth, where we were last week, and the April appears to Mary. Mary's a 12 to 14-year-old young girl. Um, the angel gives some pretty big news, you could say. That's kind of like the understatement of, hey, you're going um, to get pregnant, and, and you're, this child is going to be the Messiah, and he's going to have an eternal throne, and Mary looks at the angel and is kind of like, that's, that's unusual. How, how's this, how, how, how's this going to work? I'm an unmarried girl. And so the angel kind of fills in the piece, pieces to the young lady. And uh, we see that, it's, that, that her question was done in belief and not skepticism. And he says, you know what, to give you a sign, uh, your relative Elizabeth is in her sixth month. She's conceived and in her old age and her barrenness and... And so you have a sign that you can go down and see her. And, and so the whole story sort of, this overwhelming story ends last week, kind of with, with that, okay, we don't, Luke doesn't give the account of um, Joseph and, and what he wrestled with in getting this news. Um, we did look at that last week. But so when we read this, that she went in a hurry to the hill country, of course she's going to go in a hurry. She just got some huge news. And so we make the journey today from Nazareth down to, it just says, a city within the region of Judea. So we don't know the town. Some, some speculate that it's a city probably near Jerusalem, but they, there's no basis for that. Um, so somewhere in this region, it's, it's 50 to 80 miles. So it's about a three days journey. Um, Mary takes off to go see her relative who she, obviously she's an old, she's an, the Bible says, use the term, she's an old lady. I mean, that's kind of like her husband said it. The angel said it. Um, She was beyond childbearing years. She was, in addition to being beyond childbearing years, she's barren. And now she's conceived. So 
It was enough that everybody who knew her knew it. It just wasn't like this, this, this would be a miracle if she's pregnant. And when we left that story, we said that she, it said that she went into isolation. She went into seclusion for five months. And so now at this point in the story, six months has elapsed. And I took some grief last week for my tiptoeing about how the protocol of how to handle a pregnant woman or not to handle a pregnant woman as a male in particular. And so I'm not going to re-enter those grounds. I just think for wisdom's sake, I don't need to go there. But <laughs> I think that she'd be far enough along that there would be evidence that Elizabeth is pregnant at six months when, when Mary goes down. And so Mary rushes down, I think, for a couple reasons. I think to, to get confirmation from what the angel said, um, that clearly you... You, you encounter something of this magnitude. Now, I've never encountered anything of the magnitude of an angel coming to me saying, I'm going to get pregnant. And I've never experienced that. But I've had encounters that happen, and as soon as they're over, you kind of are scratching your head, did that really happen? And I mean, was that a dream? And then to be able to talk to somebody else that had the same, that was either there and witnessed the same thing to say, yeah, that actually happened. You're not, you're not going crazy. This is, this, this happened. This would be an opportunity for her to go down to Elizabeth, speak with Elizabeth and say, hey, Elizabeth, something really crazy happened to me. And did, I was told, and it's like, well, it looks like you're pregnant. Like, is there any chance an angel approached you? And uh, like, to, to imagine the, the confirmation, to imagine the, the fellowship, the, the, unique, I mean, the unique bond between these two ladies, because these ultimately there's three of them. Zacharias, I think, would um, be certain in the story. Elizabeth would have been certain in the story. Mary was certain in the story. Joseph, kind of no matter what happened, it was sort of by faith. He knew it wasn't his kid, and that's all he really had. Um, but then he did, I guess, now I'm kind of arguing with myself, but then the angel did appear to him and give him assurance. So, so the four of them knew. And for these two ladies to get together to kind of um, to, to be encouraged, to be strengthened in, in what this, this great thing that was happening, that certainly wasn't an easy thing. Like Mary's whole name was to be um, not good amongst her community. Joseph's name was not good. Jesus' was, name was not good in Nazareth. I mean, he was, he was a reputation. Like, he, nobody knows who his father is. They have the story, but who gets pregnant by God? And so we're told that she, in a hurry, went to the hill country to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. Verse 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting... The baby, that's John the Baptist, six months in the womb, leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, If we can back up, I just, I I always have to point this out. To the first four verses of, of Luke, Luke writes, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished amongst us, just as they were handed down to us, by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants. I, I, I want to stop there. That everybody believes that at this point in the story, 
Luke and his documenting what has happened, everybody almost certainly believes that, that Luke was able to sit down with Mary in his life and review these facts. Like this isn't something like he spoke to eyewitnesses. One of the eyewitnesses that would have been alive during Luke's investigation and recording would have been Mary. And she would have been an old lady at this time. Like, like years would have, have elapsed by the time Luke came in. To see, and it, I just, you know, sitting in her home, like probably at John's home because John was commissioned with taking care of her. Okay, now, Mary, can you, can you go back? To, I'm sure you remember everything. Can you explain to me? Just start from the very beginning, everything that happened. And so it's likely that today's whole story is a story that Luke receives directly from Mary, which is just super powerful to me, like uh, amazing. He makes it clear in those first four verses. He says, I'm writing you the exact truth in chronological order. This, this isn't fable. This, this isn't make-believe. This isn't something to make us feel better about ourselves. This is, these are historical events that rocked the world, that, that changed everything. And, and Luke is writing this solemnly with reverence and, and realizing that his life was on the line, that many of those had already been executed for their testifying of who Christ was, this isn't some sham happening in the quarter. This is like life or death recording. And so Mary likely told Lou, hey, when, when Elizabeth heard my greeting, she came to me, and this is what was said. So, so what we get here, sort of like the orientation, now Elizabeth is going to share more, but what we're told right here, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, John the Baptist, leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So, there's two, maybe three things, maybe two things with point number one has two parts. Um, the, the obvious, you know, our churches, our, our churches partnered with Alternatives Medical Clinic um, in a couple of weeks. It's, it's the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Um, we are connected to a denomination that is one of the most pro-life um, denominations out there. And from from a biblical perspective, I, I just want to sort of point out a couple things that are obvious, that are easy to gloss over. So if this is six months after Elizabeth had encountered the angel, and she got pregnant, and she's in isolation, um, and then it's we're told a month after that, then Mary goes down there, John the Baptist in the womb is how far along? Six months. So you have a, you have a six-month-old baby um, that's identified as a, as a human um, at, a, at a stage where in many states in our nation, sadly, could still be aborted. But that's not even the, the, the most amazing thing. The, the baby leaped in her womb because of, not of Mary, but because of the child that was in Mary's womb. How far along is Jesus at this stage? Uh, what is it? It starts with a G. Uh, gesto, gestationally, I would write, you know, <clears throat> like days from conception, weeks 
at, at, at most. So here, the, the scriptures in this whole story are, are identifying the reaction of a human being at six months responding to the human being at like days, weeks. It's so easy to fly over the story without. We, in, the, in today's culture, we have to pause and say, you know what? The Bible does identify life at conception. Th- there's a reason that we take this stance. The, the second point of this first point is here we see John the Baptist at six months old already fulfilling his calling for the Lord. Like his whole purpose was to announce, to prepare the way for Jesus. And so in the womb, through the Holy Spirit, he, could, he knows that his Lord is, you know, meters, inches from him. And he begins to respond in a way to notify and to let the world know around him, hey, listen, the Lord is near. And then we see that the Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. It's very easy for us as, as uh, um, New Testament Christians to sort of gloss over that as uh, no big deal. This is actually a, a huge deal because we're, I think technically we're, I mean, technically we're in the pages of the New Testament, but in practicality we're in, we're in the life of the Old Testament. And the Spirit's coming and going upon individuals wasn't like the New Testament when we read in Ephesians 1.13 that when you believed, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Um, everything changed in Acts 2 with the coming of the Spirit. And so this is a supernatural event that here we have a child, John the Baptist, who we're told that from the womb, the Spirit of God would be within him. And also Elizabeth, two different persons, she also has the Spirit of God, that she's filled with the Holy Spirit in her whole response. And this whole section is often referred to as uh, uh, the, the mag- I can't even say it, like, it's like probably, Latin, the, it's a Greek, it's not a Greek word, it's a Latin word, the Magnificant or something along those lines. I'm not as refined, but it's referred to as sort of Mary's magnifying of the Lord, her reaction, her song, her prayer. Um, but, but Elizabeth gives a little one also in verses 42 through 45, Elizabeth is going to speak and she's going to give her praise and her glory and her, her reaction to this whole situation. So verse 42, and she, that's Elizabeth cried out with a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women. So Elizabeth understands the nature, the gravity, the, the, the seriousness of this event. She's an older woman who was barren that couldn't have a child, that was disgraced by her community, living life in, a, in an honorable, God-honoring way, and yet she was without child, which was to be the, the utmost disgrace amongst her culture. And now she's pregnant, which by many people in that situation would, it would be more of a crisis, you know, I don't know of many hundred-year-old women that would be very stoked about all of a sudden, like, hey, I'm pregnant now. Like this, I mean, really, this could be a, okay, I know I'm going to die now, like sort of situation. 
she realizes the supernatural event that has occurred in her womb. She has the evidence that when Mary comes, she knows that Mary is pregnant, and she's like, this is just amazing. This, you are going to be blessed. You, you are blessed among women. And not that Mary was some uh, supernatural figure in her own right. It's that amongst all women of all time that the Lord decided to make his entrance into this world, not only at that time, but through this particular young lady's womb. This is a very special young lady. <clears throat> and blessed is, see, I, one year I accidentally said, fruit of the loom. <clears throat> and now I dread that that's what's going to come out of my mouth. And so now I just say it so that I can get over it in case I accidentally, for the rest of the message, refer to her fruit of the loom. Great marketing by one company. But blessed is the fruit of your womb that <clears throat> she understands that, I mean, we're days, weeks, like we don't know the timeline of the actual like conception, but we know that when she was at Nazareth, we were told that something was going to happen. And by the time she gets down here in a hurry, she's, she's now pregnant. So she could be three days along. At this point, she like a like I don't think any more than a week post conception, <clears throat> and she's saying, "Blessed is the fruit. The fruit is the Lord Jesus Christ within her womb, developing at, at that moment." And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me uh, again? Not to hammer the sanctity of human life Sunday too much right now, but we have to point out the, the obvious. Elizabeth, six months along. Mary, days, week maybe past conception. And now Elizabeth is referring to her as the mother of her Lord. So here's this old woman referring to this, what our, you know, our world would say, oh, it's just a blob of nothingness. It's, it's, it's gestational stage, or it, it's not referring to it as a human. If they found something a, a, a millionth less complex on the moon, they would say we found life on the moon. But if it's in the womb, it's a different situation. But here's Elizabeth referring to the Lord at days of conception, my Lord. Huge. <clears throat> and she's saying, what are, what are you doing coming to me? Like, what? Like, it, it's almost like another angle of, you know, when John the Baptist is there and Jesus comes to him to be baptized, he's like, what are you doing coming to me? I need to be baptized by you, not by you. And it's like, the mother's like, say, what are you doing coming to me? Like, this isn't the way, it, like. And then she says, for behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. I think of the song where in Christmas season, joy to the world, like this whole joy of announcing to the world that the Lord has come. Make way. Make your path straight. And blessed is she, referring to Mary, who believed. So now Elizabeth is praising young 
12 to 14-year-old young Mary who heard the angel, who responded in a way that was very different than her very own husband, who can't speak at this point because of his disbelief, she acknowledges the belief of Mary. She says, blessed are you who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. See, Elizabeth got her message kind of through the mute husband that didn't have faith. And now she has Mary who's able to speak and is responding by faith, and she is just overwhelmed. Blessed is Mary, blessed is the fruit of her womb. Her her womb contains her Lord. There's great joy in this event. Um, I think that Elizabeth at this point has had months to process this event. Like she's had six months to sort of dwell upon the things that are happening. I, I, like, I don't know if uh, Zacharias had to like write it out, if they played a great game of Pictionary or something like that to kind of... But, but he was able to convey to her what happened. Then all of a sudden, she's like, oh, man. You know, she has some matzo ball, and she's like, I don't feel so good. Like, I, could this be morning sickness, or is this just food poisoning? Like, all of a sudden, now this old... this lady is experiencing all of the signs of pregnancy that she's heard about her whole life and aware of. And now she's got great joy over the pregnancy, all of the, over all of the implications that the pregnancy means, and now young Mary knocks at her door. I don't know if she's crying. I don't know like, what sort of emotion is being... I can't... I can't see this without emotion. I can't see this without hug. I can't a hug. I can't see this without tears and crying happening between these two ladies in the midst of all of this conversation. The unique and special fellowship that these two women had is unexplainable. And the reality, I use the word fellowship Specifically, like we use the word fellowship so loosely. When I, when I think of a fellowship, I think of almost like a fraternal order or, you know, like doctors often refer to them as like fellowship. Like that there's, they're linked together through, through, through a common training, vocation. Christians use the word fellowship. And so when we use the word fellowship, it's, we don't have, you can have friendships, you can have relationships with those that are outside of the faith. But when Christians use the term fellowship, you know, we always fellowship food and there's another F, fun, fellowship, food, fun, fellowship, and food, right? Those are the three Fs that we, that in Christian circles use. Um, we use the term fellowship so loosely like, oh, that means there's going to be food, and as we eat the food, it's going to be fun. And, but the word fellowship is so much more. So when Christians use the word fellowship, the reality of what it is, is that I have encountered my Lord and Savior, have surrendered my life to him, have received his Holy Spirit, that he's transformed me. And then when I, Bob's right here, so it's like I, Bob just makes, you know, make fun of Bob. You know, I see Bob and it's like, Bob's like, yes, I've given my life to the Lord. I have the Holy Spirit within me. And then we're united around that truth that we've had this encounter. And so when we gather as believers, we're saying, you know what? 
I've encountered the Lord. You've encountered the Lord. There's something special. The world doesn't understand this, this special term, fellowship. And this is what they had. This is like fellowship on steroids or hormones, I should say, because they're pregnant, you know, like, like this is fellowship by supernatural miracles. Beautiful. And then Mary responds. Verse 46, and Mary said, and um, Mary's response is really challenging. Like to me, this is one of those, there, there are points in scripture that I feel like are sort of holy ground. I mean, it's all holy, it's all set apart. But you come to like the Sermon on the Mount and you're like, there's just something about the Sermon on the Mount. You know, you come to the book of Romans and you're like, there's just something here. You go to Hebrews and you're just sort of in awe. This is one of those sections that's, I don't know that I have the words beyond her words to explain. Like, I don't know that I have the comprehension to comprehend exactly what she's saying. And so the, the first thing is I look at what Mary said is I'm in absolute awe looking at Mary's age, which we know is 12 to 14 years old. She likely was um, illiterate, not knowing how to read. She was, we know she was poor, um, coupled with like the theological depth and maturity of her response is like just, it's humbling, it's convicting. That here this 12-year-old girl without a copy of her own scriptures, like they didn't have copies of the Bible back then. It was like you'd get bits and pieces in the synagogue. A community might have a scroll. And clearly this young lady had, had grandparents and parents that invested into her and put the word of God into her. And so that when she's faced with this crisis, she's able to respond with this sort of spiritual maturity and that the scripture is like John Piper says, like, like you bleed Bible, that the Bible is just coming out of her throughout all of this. It's overwhelming. <clears throat> and she says, my soul exalts the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced and God, my Savior. So, so now we have soul and spirit. I'm not going to, like just deep within her, like at her innermost core, she says, I'm exalting in the Lord. This is like the, the word magnifying um, and, and not magnifying. Like I love the illustration. I think it was John Piper years ago I read that there are two types of magnif- magnification. There's, there's a, a microscope which takes something that's super, super small and makes it look really big. And then there's a telescope that takes something that's like way larger than anything that we can possibly fathom, and it pulls it into focus so that we could take it in. And I think it's this, that one that is the magnification that we're talking about, because God is like this. Now I have this, this Spanish song that I first learned. Uh, Mi Dios es tan, tan grande... There's nothing, my God. I mean, now Anna's laughing at me and I've lost the word. But my God is so great. My God is so big. There's nothing my God can't do. Like the little kid's song that here's this huge God. And in this moment, she's able to take in this God. This, like the, the spiritual lens of her heart 
has acted as a telescope to sort of pull it into focus that she can just exalt, magnify him. That, that her spirit, that there's joy within, like that this is, you just can't contain this. And, and, and there, are, there are moments in your life. Now, I've asked Kaisley for permission. This is where I said, I said, hey, Kaisley, can I talk about you during the sermon today? And like any sucker selling their birthright, you know, like, sure, no problem. So she has no, I didn't say, what am I going to share about? <laughs> so I have carte blanche. And I got her permission, right? So yesterday was a pretty horrible day. Um, and I'm going to try to get through this without tears. And uh, so, you know, we had men's Bible study. It was, you know, Henry wasn't there. So it was terrible. You know, we were all, you know, trying to make light of the situation. Um, Jeremiah wasn't there. They're both at the parade in Escondido. Bible study ended, kind of like wrapping up around the church. And Karen calls me. I'm like, that's not like Karen, to, like so much to call me, you know, like that's, um, so I take the call. And Karen's clearly like driving um, ur- urgently with, with very few information. She's like, Gunner, just pray. I need prayer. Just like pass the word. Like all I know is that Kaisley's horse reared up and it fell on her. And Henry said, get to the ER right now. And so I probably didn't respond to Pastor. Like I, I kind of remember going, oh, Lord, okay, I got to go. <laughs> like, I, like I might even hung up on her. I don't know how I responded. And I was like, oh, that was a really bad response. And I call Anne. I tried to call a couple people. And then I, I remember like driving to the hospital, talking to Anna, and like this is like one of those moments for, for, for me where like it's the the closest I have is when we're racing to the hospital with Anna five years ago when we were about to lose Titus and Anna. And I remember going like like Casey's like the honorary child in our family, and like I like I don't know how I'm going to handle this. Like all I know is a horse fell on her. The kid mean is just a bruised leg, you know. Like which it, praise the Lord it turned out to be, or that she's brain dead, paralyzed, fighting for life, and it's like just horrific. And then getting down there, and by the time we got there, like, obviously they start, you know, praise the Lord, like, that we don't use this lightly. And then it's like, praise the Lord. Like, these physicians are able, and these machines, these modern miracles that we have are able to, like, start taking snapshots of her body inside and out, and they're more focused on the inside than the outside. And and that by the all of it, you know, after, like, 12 hours, it's like all she has is her bruised left leg. How in the world does an 800-pound horse, smaller horse, do a belly flop on you, and then you walk away with a bruised leg? Like, I've done funerals for people who have had horses fall on them. And so, yesterday, when I, like, my, my soul exalts the Lord, my spirit Rejoices. Sometimes all it takes is like you have the wrong perspective and you need to get your perspective in check. And so I know like yesterday by the time I was walking around, like all of us were just like super just relieved, but filled with like joy and praise. And it's like, praise the Lord that this, this dear friend of ours just has a bruised leg. 
And so often, like, when I, when I read this, Mary could have been like, Lord, I'm trying to get into university. I'm engaged. I got plans. I'm more care about my friends think about me. There's so many different directions Mary could have gone, uh, fitting a 12 to 13-year-old girl, if her perspective had been incorrect. But here I look at this young girl that, that by our culture, we say, oh, they're too mature to handle big, deeper theological things. Baloney. We're too immature as a, as a society, and we don't ex- have the same expectations that children like, should be maturing in the Lord and have expectations. There's kind of a reason our Sunday school class stops at 12. It's like, okay, by 12, it's like, you, 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 hopefully Gunner's speaking at the kindergarten level that you can challenge, and you should be able to, you, like, before God, you're responsible now for your soul. And here this young lady had perspective that the first thing she says in this, like this is the crisis pregnancy of crisis pregnancies. This is a pregnancy that our culture would say, let me take you down and get an abortion. And I don't say that lightly. And Mary's response before Elizabeth, is that my soul and my spirit are exalting the Lord and rejoicing in God, my Savior. I trust him. I have so many questions, but I trust him. Verse 48, for he has regard for the humble state of his bond slave. I do want to point out Mary doesn't refer to herself as as, uh, part of any sort of Savior. There's no deity in her. She simply refers to herself as a bond slave of the Lord that she is his servant by choice. And that this God of hers has had regard for her in her humble state, this poor little girl that doesn't have resources in the town Nazareth where nothing comes out of Nazareth, but God has had regard for her. For behold, from this time, all generations will count me blessed. This This is beautiful. She is very humble about herself. Uh, everything about Mary's interaction, the scripture, everything about her is pointing to Jesus, not to herself. This is her observation of God. It's consistent. Like I have James, what is it, 4, 6 up there, where, where James tells us the Lord's brother and one of Mary's other children. He says that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And Mary got that. And I wonder if Joseph got this from Mary, you know, like that this, that, that this was a theme in their family, that we're a poor family without any resources. We know that when they went to the temple, they offered pigeons, that God has given them grace. And he's opposed the proud. Verse 49, for the mighty one has done great things for me. This is a great thought. God has done great things for Mary. God has done great things for you. And as your perspective in alignment enough that you can recognize the great things that God has done. I think this is why I love Thanksgiving so much because it, it, it doesn't force you, but it, it reminds you to give thanks, to point out the things that you're grateful for. And often in that, it reminds you the things that God has done for you. <clears throat> Gratitude. The mighty one has done great things for me. You know, for Kaisley and her parents and all that love Kaisley, it's like, praise God that Kaisley, like, had a huge horse fall on her, and it's like she has a bruised hip. I think of Dave Bishop, that when he had like the truck 
roll over him and like nothing happened to him. Maybe it's that you, hey, I drove on the freeway yesterday and I didn't get in a car accident. How did that happen? Like how many things does God protect us from that we don't even know? And holy is his name, like holy, set apart. He is outside of creation. He, He is distinct from us. He is absolutely apart from us. He is his own, God is his own thing. We are the created, he is the creator. She recognizes this. She understands God's character, his nature. His ways are not our ways. This was not Mary's idea of how to start her young life. Verse 50, and his mercy throughout this passage, we, we see her mention mercy multiple times. Mercy is God withholding wrath that is due us. <clears throat> and so she's quoting from Psalm 103 in verse 50, verse 17, and his mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear him. And the word is fear. This is, this is the idea. It's kind of going back to James 4, 6. God opposes the prows, proud and he gives grace to the humble. God gives mercy to those who fear him. This is creation recognizing their creator. Recognizing that in Genesis, the first two chapters, God spoke this into existence. God, what scientists are doing all this stuff and coming up with all their elaborate things, the Bible tells us God spoke it into creation. That God, before you were conceived in your mother's womb, God knew of you in eternity past that this is a great and mighty God. This is, uh, I think it was David Jeremiah that talks about uh, getting in a boat and driving up to the, the base, like at the bottom at the base of Niagara Falls and to say, oh, this is nothing. Like this is about having a healthy fear of like however many gallons of water are there. This is recognizing God for who he is. You live, breathe, exist, everything. Like it's because of God's mercy and grace to you. We don't want fairness with God. We want his mercy. We want his kindness. So so this is humility before God. This is awe for God. This is uh, having a right perspective about who God is and who you are. Verse 51, he has done mighty deeds with his arms. So this is one of those uh, pictures that, that... that scriptures use so that we in our finite brains can understand we have a right hand. Right hand speaks of power. So it's saying that God is mighty. I'm left-handed, so it makes no sense to me. It's like so backwards, you know? This is like just left-handed people are so prejudiced against, you know? Like, so like just like the left arm, left arm, right arm, sorry. I don't want to, I'm going too far with this. Showing God's might, his strength. There's nothing that God can't do. And he says that he he has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of of their heart. This is a good time to remind us this is uh, where we live in history. So our our day today, we look at the map behind me, and we think, oh, that's the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel today is a very new thing in history. We're talking like 70 years old or so. Mary is writing during the time of dispersion. So if you, as you read the prophets, you see that Israel fell, first the northern kingdom, then the southern kingdom. And, and that, I think it was 586 B.C., was when the southern kingdom fell. 
And so now some 500 years have gone by where the, the nation of Israel doesn't exist because they've been scattered around the world, taken into captivity. And from the time of Jesus, who they were looking for the Messiah to come to restore the nation, that didn't happen for another 2,000 years if this restoration of Israel that we know as a state today is actually what the Bible's talking about. I'm not, like, we, we just don't know. We, like, it's easier to look in the rearview mirror. We'll have to wait till how everything unfolds to see. But so she's speaking from the context of, of, of a Jewish girl who lived in, in Israel that we know today, but it was Rome. This is Roman authority. Her nation had been scattered. They had nothing. They were slaves. They were in subjection to Rome. And she says, God did this. God scattered us. This, this is being recorded during the silent 400 years where God hadn't spoke for 400 years. No prophet had come. There was just evil rising and a desperation, a longing for the Messiah to come. Verse 52, he has brought down rulers from their thrones and exalted those who were humble. Again, this theme, opposing the proud. Grace to the humble. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things. I wonder if she's speaking about herself as a poor young girl and send away the rich, empty-headed. So you see this just, it's, it's opposite. It, it just, it doesn't fit our economy. God's economy is not our economy. He said he's, he's fed the poor, he's cared for the poor, he's sent away the rich, empty-handed. It might not look like that in, in, in the earth, like from an earthly perspective, but she is looking through spiritual eyes. And here she is, this poor young girl carrying the Messiah. Verse 54, he has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. Again, there's that word. As he's spoken to our fathers, Abraham and his descendants forever. So within her, there's like this, there's not quite a clear picture. Like there's just... There's just not the nation of Israel scattered. She's been told when the angel approached her that she would bear a son. Remember that, that, that there the Davidic kingdom was mentioned, this, this promise that was given in Samuel that she's told that this child within her, this Jesus, he would be a king and he would have an eternal throne. And I think that she's looking back to the theology that she knows is not quite in focus, but she, she knows these promises and she knows that God is faithful the, the Abrahamic covenant that was given back in Genesis chapter 12 and, and ratified in chapter 15, like she's looking back to all of these promises and somehow she's standing on the crossroads and just, Lord, I trust you. However it's going to un, un, play out, I trust you. And I praise you. And then we're told in verse 56 that Mary stayed with her about three months and then she returned home. It was time for Elizabeth to give birth. It's just... I wonder how that three months was. It's like the calm before the storm, the, this beautiful time of fellowship. And then it's like, okay, it's time for you to go. It's time for me to go and then let our children live out their calling. It's a beautiful story. And, you know, the, like, what can we, like, the takeaway from this passage, like the so what of it all, when I look at Elizabeth, <clears throat> I see this lady that remained faithful even though the quote-unquote formula of doing the right thing wasn't working out as she had hoped or dreamed of. Like, 
She clearly longed for a child, probably plural, that she wanted children, because in that culture and the desire of her heart was that, that she would be blessed to have many children and to have children. And here she was. She didn't. And she, in, in her barrenness, she didn't grow bitter. We see that her and her husband continued to live righteously. They continued to serve faithfully, and they honored God. And then probably when they were less open to having children, God sends them a child, and they, 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 they handled it with absolute righteousness and poise and beauty. Then we look at Mary, and I'm super convicted about Mary. Like, um, you, you don't, you just don't. What we read here in, in verses 46 through 55, you you don't, regardless of your age, spew out that kind of prayer without having a depth. And a relationship there, it's kind of like the old thing, like whatever's in your cup and you stub your toe, if you have clean water in it, clean water's going to bubble out. If you have dirty, nasty water, then that's what's going to bubble out of it. And so as she stubbed her toe by getting pregnant, it's a terrible, like the kind of, what comes out of her is scripture. Promises that she knew would be fulfilled. And all of this comes out because she had spent time with the Lord she had labored in the scriptures and memorized and placed it deep within her soul. And as we like wrap up the year, like with Debbie, I know Debbie's normally, or maybe she's in Sunday school. I don't know if Debbie's here, but Debbie goes to our church. <clears throat> um, last, I don't know how many years in a row Debbie's read through the Bible, but last year she started out the Bible trivia thing. And it's like, okay, we're we going to do Bible trivia going forward. And she's like, well, I don't know. Like, I just, I don't know if people are into it. I don't. And then she, like, was like, well, maybe we'll do, like, food fellowship and fun, you know. And I'm like, okay, we can do the triple threat, you know. Like, we'll have, like, fun with that. And then, you know, like, this week she calls me. She's like, I can't get rid of Bible trivia. Like, let's just do, let's do the Bible through a year. Let's try to do another pump and, like, go through. And I'm like, I love it. And, and, like, I love Mary because Mary so convicts me to not grow stale in my relationship with the Lord, not to, to grow stale in my consumption of the word of God, but to like, no, Lord, I need more of you. I want to be able to respond like Mary, and I have a long way to go. And so it's such an encouragement to, to see how Mary responds in this. And then the 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 two of them together, this, the beauty of fellowship and the importance of, as, fellow, as believers, to be gathered in community, going through life to, together, um, because you know what? Sometimes like a horse falls on you. And you need, like, I don't, like, you need your spiritual family to be there. But there's part of people being there is you being there and, and, and allowing people, opening the, the door of your life and say, no, I, I want, like, come into my life. Because the scripture tells me to be a part of community because I'm going to need this community. It's, it's, it's beautiful. And then I, we, there's so much to say and I'm running out of time and, and there's God. Like, clearly God is in the story. And, and through the story of the birth of Christ, we, we see his faithfulness, his reliability, 
uh, his trustworthiness. Um, he has a plan in place for us so that we might have relationship with him. He has a plan in place so that we can receive forgiveness for our sins. Um, we see humility in that Christ is deity. Christ is Lord, and he stepped out of heaven into the womb of, a, of this woman to grow up in a poor family as a man, yet God. And he did this for us. So ultimately that he would go to the cross and that the wrath of God would be placed upon him so that we would have forgiveness available to us. Ultimately, that's our hope. As we celebrate the cross, the, the cross, or we celebrate the tree, or no, not the tree, we celebrate the birth. We celebrate the manger. The, ma- the manger then turns into the, the crown. So the, the tree is here and we celebrate his birth, but everything is pressing forward to the sacrifice so that we can have relationship. And then as we've received relationship, we press forward. We look forward our hope that he's coming back. He's not done. As we look at the, like, just watch the news. Like, give it a couple hours, you know. Like, go through a news cycle and try to look at it from a biblical perspective. Like, what's it look like? It looks pretty dark and and depressing, hopeless. The, the, The bad guys keep getting away with bad stuff. And those that want to do right, they're just victimized. And then I think, I just start feeling like Habakkuk, how long, God, are you going to make me deal with it? Like, how long am I going to call out to you and you're not going to answer? So the beauty of Christmas is that it's a time for us, as Advent says, slow down, to focus, to wait upon the Lord and to remind ourselves that he is true to his word and he is coming back. And we rejoice in that. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you um, for Jesus, our Lord, who came so humbly as, uh, as Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 uh, describes for us that he came as a human, that he lived this life in a very humble way, that he set an example to us to be humble as he was humble. Uh, throughout this passage, Lord, we we see that you give grace to those who are humble. And so, Father, we ask that you would, um, Lord, that you would do a cleansing of our hearts and our minds. Lord, there is, uh, it seems within our wiring that there's, a, there, there's a, something hardwired within us to be arrogant, to be prideful, uh, to be boastful. And so, Lord, I pray that you would change our perspective, that we would, rightly align ourselves with you, um, Lord, that we would recognize the good deeds that you have done in our life. We, Lord, um, we ask that you would help us to have perspective for the things that haven't happened to us because of your mercifulness to us. And Father, we pray that you would fill our hearts, our souls, our spirits with um, reverence for you. Uh, with joy in this relationship that we have with you. Father, we pray for those that haven't received the Lord as their Savior or they have just been dating and kind of playing the game but haven't really gotten serious. Father, I pray that you would get a hold of those people that, uh, that we know and love that 
um, are dancing around the issue of who Christ is. Father, we pray that you would clarify the image of, of Jesus so that they would see him as Lord. And Father, as we celebrate Christmas, Lord, we um, ask that you would help us to truly to bow down before you and to praise you with all that we are. And Lord, that we would just, just be grateful. Lord, we love you so much. And it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.